Well, good morning. Hey, I'm really glad to be with you this uh, here with this. What am I trying to say? That's going to be the. All right. Good morning. Man, am I glad to be here with you. Let's get our Bibles out. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 3. And uh, while you turn there, or while you open your Bible there, I'm going to talk to you about Christmas. I love Christmas. Uh, it's a family favorite. Uh, Christmas is a, one of the Simpson family's favorite time of the year. And um, we love everything that comes with Christmas, most of everything. Uh, we love Christmas lights. How many of y'all like to go look at Christmas lights? Uh, across the street from my parents' house, they have one of those houses that plays Christmas lights to music. Man, that is awesome, and I don't know how to do that, but uh, Lord help Melissa if I ever try to figure it out. Um, it is so cool. We love decorating the tree. Our tree is all decorated, and, and uh, before long, we're going to have to buy another tree if we didn't get any more orange, uh, ornaments, uh, because there's running out of branches on that thing. Uh, we love Christmas movies. We love Christmas songs and music. Um, and, and we love hot cocoa. Can't, we love the whole thing. Christmas is awesome. And it's a wonderful time. And, and it's not uh, just because of all the gifts. That's great and fun. And uh, the traditions like Santa Claus coming to town. Y'all know that song? How does that song go? Uh, he's making a list, checking it twice. Oh man, y'all are ready to sing. You're trying to sing for the Lord. You're not singing for Santa Claus. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice, right? Santa Claus is coming to town. That's right. We enjoy that stuff, but really Christmas is about far more than that. And we're going to talk about that. But has anyone ever found themselves, maybe when you were a child, worried about which part of the list you were on? Like if you were on the naughty list or if you're on the nice list. Uh, if you're wondering nowadays, you don't have to worry anymore. You can go to www.claws.com, and there is a nisometer that will tell you what part of the list you're on. I decided I needed an update on mine to see, uh, so I checked last night. For me, it said that Darren is still very much on the nice list, but must continue good behavior, should eat more vegetables instead of junk food, was very polite last Thursday, not so good at other times, manners could still use some attention, and was also, oh, that's somebody else, I'm sorry. I also checked up Miss Becky Parker, she, our church secretary, because, uh, you know, as, a, as the pastor, I need to be keeping up with how good people are. Uh, Sister Becky, it says, nice, but with a few naughty marks. Neatness needs improvement. Uh, behavior's been good sometimes, not so good other times. Manners should use some attention, was very last on Mon- uh, nice last Monday. I also uh, checked our uh, staff author and speaker, Brother Lester Hudson. Uh, his, his says, nice, but has naughty lapses. Pray for Brother Lester. High marks in the good deeds department, better than average manners. Hopefully thoughtfulness will continue to be as good as last month. Neatness needs improvement, Brother Lester. And then I, I checked our, our, our chief deacon, our head deacon, who's back there in the, in the foyer, uh, Brother Raymond, uh, you really need to be praying for Brother Raymond. It says, just when we were about to give a naughty rating, this one came through last week with a good deed. Good work, back on the nice list. But watch out for interrupting others while talking and burping without an excuse me, even when you think no one heard the burp. Now that's all good and fun, 
People like the idea of Santa's list because it's for play. But they also like the idea of Santa's list because they know that Santa isn't going to be too hard on them for some lapses of judgment. And really, I think our society, I don't think, I know, our society likes, if they believe in God, they like to imagine God very much the same way. As this white, woolly, bearded guy in the clouds who's willing to consider our excuses before he judges us too harshly. And I think it's important this morning that we understand exactly how God sees us in regards to naughty or nice. While our culture likes to indulge in traditions like Santa Claus, there's someone who really is keeping score. Someone who really is going to judge us at the end. And so if you're in uh, Romans chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 10. Uh, the Word of God, by the way, is reliable and we, it is trustworthy. And as we read this, we understand this is God's words revealed to us through the, the pen of Paul right here. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together. Uh, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher or grave, gross. With their tongues they have deceit. The poison of snakes is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their uh, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for um, this time of year, Lord, where we, we get to celebrate the advent of our Savior who came and was born in in the same flesh that we bear, lived on this same earth, trod these same, the same uh, dirt and ground that we, uh, that we walk on, breathed the same air, but came for a mighty purpose to redeem us from our sins. Lord, I pray as I try to un- unfold the words here written for us in Romans chapter 3, I pray you help us to see what mighty thing he has done. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Did you see how that passage ended in verse 19, that passage we started with? It says that we are all guilty before God, that all the world may become guilty before God. That may be a surprise to some, but I don't think it's really a surprise to many of us. Even if you've never heard this passage of Scripture even if you've never read the Bible, I feel certain that if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we all have known times when we have done something we should not have done. Or maybe when we should have done something and we didn't do it. Guilt is defined in many, even in psychology, I was looking at this, guilt has been defined as one of the world's universal emotions. It transcends all cultures, all, uh, all countries, all people groups, guilt is something that everyone experiences. The Bible even, I think, explains for us 
why in Romans chapter 2, just a previous chapter, verses 14 and 15, it says, for when the Gentiles, that's talking about unbelievers to those who were reading this, which have not, of course, it's also talking about Gentiles, but for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. Basically, what that is saying is though anybody, uh, even though many have never read God's word and, and maybe have not grown up in church, God's law is written upon our hearts. We know what, what is right and what is wrong. And so uh, we all understand why we feel guilty when we've done wrong. But I think the important question that must be answered is what can be done about our guilt? What can be done? How can we cope with our guilt? Let's look at verse 19 once again. Coping with our guilt, verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them (coughs) who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. You know, just like kids on uh, before Christmas, uh, adults, all of us, all of us try to do something with our guilt. We try to cope with it in some way. Uh, there's, I, I try to break down man's approach. How, how do we approach uh, coping with our guilt? Well, I, I found three, I thought of three different ways. There's intellectual ways that we will cope with our guilt. Uh, We might lower our expectations of morality. You know, maybe we just have unrealistic expectations of ourselves, so we will, of course, fail and do wrong, but we're only human, and it is unreasonable to expect so much of ourselves. Have you ever had this kind of conversation with yourself? So what we should do is just lower your expectations of your own virtue, and you'll feel less guilty. Or maybe you could just undermine the morality that is instilled within you. Undermine it. Maybe our morals are too outdated. Maybe they're too restrictive. Uh, They must be the product of some old remnants of old times when old rules just kept everyone from having any good old fun. Maybe we just should get with today and, and stop living in the ethical dark ages. Just undermine that morality. Or maybe we should just redefine it completely. We see this abundantly in our society now. Uh, we've arrived in our present age. We should just we've just realized that some things we ought to uh, that we you once thought were immoral are now moral things. The things we once thought were sin are actually now virtues to be celebrated, like greed. Greed is celebrated in our society in many ways. Or self-exaltation. Elevating yourself above everyone else. Your own comforts. I mean, that's easy for us to do. It comes very naturally. And not only that, uh, because of our flesh, but also because of our culture. Uh, The culture uh, of, of, uh, of our world right now is custom to Y-O-U. Exactly the way you want it. How about sex before marriage? Hey, that's a virtue now. Don't you know you're supposed to do that? That's not what the Bible says, in case you're wondering. The Bible says it's immoral. It's sin. 
God has a whole list of reasons why. That's for another message. How about abortion? Hey, abortion to many in our society is a virtue. It's moral to allow people to murder their babies. But it's, in reality, it's disgusting. Or homosexuality. Hey, listen, if you don't promote homosexuality, they'll try to shut our church down before too long. It wasn't that long ago, seven or eight years ago, the mayor of Houston wanted all pastors to submit their sermons to to the city for review, to make sure that there wasn't any hate speech. Listen, uh, of all people, we should be the ones loving homosexuals more than anybody else. You want to know why? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for them, and they need a Savior. They don't need to be told how sinful, I mean, they do need to be told how sinful they are, but they need to see that they need a Savior. They need Jesus Christ. And uh, if, if the way we share that message is... Is a hate, it comes from a place of hate, then we are wrong. But calling sin, sin is not hate speech. Our society is redefining morality or transitioning from a man to a woman or woman to a man. I, I'm just going to keep going. The idea is that these are no longer sinful. They're actually so virtuous, we must have them present in every new movie and TV show, even in children's movies. It's a way to cope with sin and guilt. Or what about physical ways? You know, if, if uh, those old ways just don't work for us, there's, all the, there's always good old alcohol. Hey, we'll just drink the tears away. We'll just drink the sadness away. Or drugs, you know, marijuana is a healing drug now. Um, we just, you just smoke your life away and you'll feel better. You won't have to deal with all those ugly fe- feelings of pain and guilt. Uh, distractions, sexual d- distraction, porn, promiscuity, uh, video games, sports, board games, hobbies, food, gossip, a lot of things that even aren't really that bad, but we'll use them to the extent that they just mask our guilt. One of the oldest and maybe the most dangerous ways of dealing with our guilt and our sin is religion. It's deceptive. It's probably the most deceptive of all of these things I've listed because it's closest to the truth. It it recognizes what uh, that intellectual approach or that physical approach ignores, that there is a holy God. It recognizes that there is an ultimate cause of guilt, that there is a righteous God whose will for his uh, creatures have been, has been ignored or defied. It recognizes that every uh, pang of conscience in the human soul, there is a silent and often unexpressed conviction, I have gone against God. And the means that religion uses to deal with guilt is to try to satisfy God through good works or through ritual, rituals. I hope you do not come to church at Northwest Baptist Church because you're trying to satisfy God. I want to tell you this morning, and hopefully you'll see this through the rest of this passage, that that is an absolute hopeless pursuit. You are not going to please God by coming to church here. I mean, it pleases God. Don't get me wrong. It pleases God that you're here. But you're not going to, 
You're not going to earn your salvation and your forgiveness, uh, his forgiveness, by coming to church, by putting money in the red boxes, or by uh, doing anything except trust in his Jesus Christ. Let's talk about God's approach. What is God's approach to dealing with guilt? Well, simply put, God's approach is Jesus. The biblical revelation of Jesus, I want to tell you, is true. His, his, uh, uh, what we see about Jesus and who he is, who we're learning about in Sunday school right now, is true. The Jesus we meet in the Bible is rooted in history. He's a real person who existed and lived as described in the Bible. He was he even died. He was resurrected on the third day as described in the Bible. Not only is this historically true, but it is easily and rationally defensible against attack. Did you hear that? Uh, listen, it's easy to look at this book and go, man, those words are 2,000 more plus years old. Uh, how, how can we know that that's historically accurate? Let me tell you, you can know. It is, it is easily defensible. And rationally so. It's not something we have to just take these extra steps of faith just so we can believe something that seems so incredible. No, God's word has been uh, uh, proved over and over again. Jesus was like any, unlike any person who ever lived. He is true. Jesus can be trusted. Jesus believed in the Old Testament. And it is he who spoke by his power in the New Testament, by, by, his, uh, by his spirit, excuse me, in the New Testament. So when we read these books, uh, these words in Romans, these are the words of our Savior Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 19. We're going to keep going. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and even the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through, redemption, uh, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past <coughs> through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. <coughs> the rest of this sermon is going to be an effort to explain these words to you and for you to see what Christ has done. I think first... We should realize that ultimately coping with our guilt really means dealing with our sin. Uh, uh, verse 9, <clears throat> verse 9 of this uh, same chapter, it says, What then are we better than they? No, in no wise. 
For we have before proved that both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. What is that saying? It's saying that everybody is under sin. We're all under sin. Not only are we under sin, but as we read in verse 19, we are all guilty before God. So when you're guilty in a court of law, there are consequences. You will be held responsible. In this court of law that we're, we're, we're imagining here, not imagining, it's, it's a real court of law here. <coughs> it's the court of God's law. We stand guilty, but there is no chance of a defense because we have a judge who, who does not have to weigh evidence presented to him as things he didn't know before. We're talking about a God who knows all, who sees all, who can recall all things, who can look back at that moment in your life when you committed to sin. In fact, every moment of your life that you committed a sinful thought, act, uh, uh, even had a sinful feeling, and he can take you right back to that moment and show it to you. We're talking about a God, a judge who does not need a, a, who will not listen to any defense. And there's no appeals. Look in verse 19, what did it say? <coughs> that every mouth may be stopped. There's no hope of a defense. There's no chance at an appeal. All of mankind is personally accountable to God. God will deal with you as an individual. Did you hear that? God will deal with you as an individual. And you'll have to give to him an account of your life someday. Verse 19, it says, guilty before God. You're going to be before him. If you try to deal with your guilt in one of those days, ways we discussed earlier, that will be a pretty ter- terrifying prospect because it won't work. No matter how good we've appeared to be in front of one another, and I look around and I see mostly, or all, I just see all good people. I can't think of anything bad of any of you. No matter how good we appear to one another, though, we're accountable to God and there will be a reckoning for what we've done, what we've said, what we've thought, and what we've felt. Dealing with our naughtiness is not about feeling better about our guilt. All that stuff that man does, that's what that's about. It's about pursuing our feelings. It's not about feeling better about our guilt. It's about being right with God. Not only that, but verse 20 makes it pretty clear no one can be justified by the law. Let's read that again. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. This is the the death knell to those who believe that they can please God through their works. If you believe that you can be good enough to come and, and, and to come before God and he will forgive you, read verse 20 again and again. There's no way you can do it. So how has God sought to deal with our sin? Remember, God sent Jesus to deal with our sin and our guilt. Are y'all awake this morning? Maybe this is really boring. Y'all need to wake up a little bit. God sent Jesus to deal with our sin and our guilt. God took the initiative. 
He chose to set forth a plan. He, set, he took the initiative to see us acquitted before his eyes. I mean, and so you might wonder, why do we even have the law? Well, because God is holy and just. And his law uh, uh, protects his holiness and his righteousness. But let's read in Galatians 3, verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a, a law given that could have given life, verily, righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed, wherewith the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster for you are all under the all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have, been, have put on Christ. So the law was not only made to preserve the holiness and righteousness of God, but now it has been used to bring us to Christ. Why? Because of Romans 8.3, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. God has not left us to deal with our sin and our guilt alone, but he has taken the initiative. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to give us an offer, a a pardon through the blood of Jesus Christ. Look in verse 24. Being justified freely. How many of y'all like free stuff? Sometimes you get free stuff you don't really want, you know? Listen, and I, we went to the doctor's office on, uh, on Friday and sat with the doctor and um, healthy heartbeat, by the way. And they had free stuff for us. And we have a bag of some free stuff. And guess how many times we've looked in that bag? Zero times. Sometimes you get free stuff you don't really want. Sometimes you get something free that is priceless. That means so much to you. Maybe an heirloom passed down from a loved one. But listen, what Christ has done for you is free to you. Justified freely being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom hath set forth, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Do you see that? Listen, these two verses are so incredibly important because if you haven't picked up on this yet, The problem of all of mankind's attempts to deal with our own sin and our own guilt is that they fail to recognize that sin is a direct insult to the holiness of God. Sin is is spitting on his righteous glory. It is a holy God who is our accuser, not just some guy we've made up who lives at the North Pole. This is a holy and real and true God 
who is, who is righteous. And before him, there can be no justification, no reconciliation, no cleansing of our guilt or sin unless the holiness of God is honored and unless the insult of his righteousness is repaired. We live in a day where mankind has such an inflated view of our ability to to please God and such a tiny view of God's holiness that we do not for a second imagine that, uh, that, that we stand before him absolutely hopeless. We have no hope of understanding our depth, the depth of our guilt and sin. The question is often asked, how, how can such a good and loving God uh, uh, condemn people with such little sin? And it seems like a fair question. It does. But when you realize how very small we are before God and how great and holy and righteous God truly is, the question really should be, how can God be righteous if he acquits such miserable sinners as us? This is a holy God. There's no possible redemption that does not deal with God's righteousness. That's why there must have been a sacrifice. being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. There had to be a sacrifice. And not just any sacrifice would do. Listen, before the day that Jesus uh, walked up Calvary's hill and was nailed to a Roman cross and bled and shed his blood and died for you and me, before that day, there had been millions, maybe uh, tens of millions of sacrifices before that day. Maybe hundreds of millions. I I don't know. They sacrificed uh, 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 frequently lambs, bulls, and whatever, whatever God had defined for them. But none of those sacrifices made any difference in the question of their sin. Only one sacrifice would suffice. Only one, the sacrifice of the Son of God. No one else. No other act could repair the insult to God's holiness and his righteous glory by our sins. But when... Jesus died for the sins of the world. Glory was restored. And God's righteousness is demonstrated. I mean, look at these words again in verse 24 and 25. It's talking about us justified freely by his grace. Have you ever earned anybody's grace? The answer is no, because if you earned it, you, it wasn't grace. Grace is free. It's unmerited favor. Unmerited means you didn't earn it. You're not good enough for it. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption, through this sacrifice that is in Christ Jesus, whom God took the initiative and, and put forth to be a propitiation. I love that word, and I don't have time to preach the whole word for you. 
propitiation, but what that is a picture of is just an act that would satisfy God. In those days, <coughs> they had many uh, pagan temples, and, uh, and let's say, for instance, you wanted to go on a, on a, a, a boat trip, and you were going to be sailing through the Mediterranean Ocean, it would be a good idea for you to go to the temple of Poseidon and give sacrifices so that you might, so that you might propitiate him, you, so that he might, uh, so you might give him some propitiation, something with it, satisfy him and your, satisfy you, excuse me, satisfy him, that you would satisfy him in, in his eyes. There you go. So that he would look upon you and give you favor. What God did is he set Jesus Christ as the satisfying sacrifice to give us favor in God's eyes. To satisfy his righteousness, his holiness, his glory. I mean, it's Jesus is the one. He's, he is the propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. In verse 21 of this passage, and I'm not, I'm not going to be able to dig through all of this, dig this all out, but in verse 21, Paul talks about the righteousness of God without the law. You see that? Now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. What does that word manifested mean? It's revealed. It's, it's made known to us. It's manifested. And then he tells us that, tells the reader that even the righteousness of God, verse 25, even the righteousness of of God, which is by faith of Christ Jesus unto all and upon all that believe in him. He says that Jesus is, has, has been set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood. And finally, he says in Romans 3.26, to declare at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. This is incredible. Obviously beyond my ability to express it, I think. But the thing about this gift, this offered pardon to us, that it's only offered to those who believe in him. This this free justification through the blood of Jesus Christ that satisfies the holiness and righteousness of God is only available to those who believe. This might be one of the hardest things to understand for some, and I would argue that it is, by God's design, the easiest thing you can ever do is trust in him. It's hard because it means we have to come to grips with the fact that we are so guilty before God. We are so deep in the naughty list. There's no hope of getting out. We're, we have so little, we have no hope in ever pleasing God or earning his forgiveness on our own. We have to come to grips with that. And for some of us, that could be really hard to do. 
but it is easy. Let me ask you, what, what could be easier than faith? I mean, what does faith require of you? Does it require some amazing physical feat of, of strength? Does it, does it require incredible intellect from you? No. Does it require that you look a certain way and live a certain way? Maybe, does it require great beauty for you to have faith? No. It's something all of us can do. Boy, am I thankful. I'm thankful that it's easy. That just means that someday when we face God, that will not be an excuse. We'll never be able to look at God and say, God, it was just too hard for me to trust you. You can put up all the roadblocks you want, but God, through Jesus Christ, has tried to do everything possible to make it as easy as possible for you. His desire, the whole, let me tell you, the whole meaning of Christmas is not about Santa Claus and Christmas lights. That stuff's fun, and I enjoy it. Listen, Christmas is about a Savior. A brave, young Savior who came and lived a perfect life. Not, for, not just for his glory, but for your salvation. He did it all. He was the only one that could redeem you before God. And the hope of Christmas is not, I mean, it is a baby in a manger, but that baby in a manger is a Savior on a cross. And someday will be a, a, a conqueror on a white horse who will come in the clouds of glory and will lay waste to all his enemies. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, whether they want to or not, <laughs> that he is Lord. And today he says to you, I sure would love it if you trust me because I died for you. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I'm going to tell you, there's no greater thing that you can do. There's no greater Christmas gift that you could give this church. Oh, man. Than to trust in Jesus. And honestly, no greater Christmas gift that you could ever receive but salvation, eternal life, forgiveness through Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you would like to know what that looks like, will you come in just a minute? Brother Eric is going to come. We're going to have a, a, a verse of invitation. This is a gospel message. This is a salvation message. And the response should be that we either trust him or we ask him what the next steps are if you're not saved. But you know, most of you here this morning, I think, most of you are church members. And that means at least you have made a public profession of your faith if, and you hopefully are truly saved. And if you're not, let me tell you, uh, no shame should ever stand between you and heaven. Okay, uh, if you're afraid I'm going to be ashamed in front of everybody, I've lived my whole life as saved before everybody, and then I'm going to have to come forward and say I was lost this whole time. Listen, uh, you can do that, and you're going to have a little bit of discomfort, or you can sit in your seat and refuse to trust Jesus Christ and spend eternity in discomfort in hell. Okay, but if you're here this morning, you're a church member. This is the message of Christmas. This is what we ought to be screaming from the mountaintops. 
This is what we ought to be living in front of our fellow uh, man. And when we go to the grocery store, wherever we go, we should be ready to share this wonderful truth. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity.